All right, I'm going right to work here. Here's the deal. A couple of weeks ago, as we started this series called Me and My Big Fat Mouth. Well, Big Mouth, not Big Fat Mouth, but sometimes it is a Big Fat Mouth. Um, as we started this series, I told you that the week before I had conflicts, right? And one of those conflicts was with my wife. And some of you were like, hey, what happened? I said, that's between me and my wife. I got home and my wife said, hey, I was in one of the services. Why didn't you tell everybody what you did and what you said to me? I thought, that's between you and me, babe. That's not between anybody else. So I told Kara, I said, well, I'm going to actually tell everybody and confess today what I did. Here's the deal. It was a Wednesday evening, and um, it was a dark, dreary night. Um, The next day, I had a busy morning, right? So I had my men's Bible study, 6 to 6.45 at Chick-fil-A over here in Backlick. And I had that going on. I had a meeting coming up right after that. I wasn't going to be back home. And I'm usually the one that takes out the recycling and takes out the trash. Well, I'm in our bedroom... Folding clothes. Points for me, right? So I'm folding clothes. Thank you. Taking care of it. Probably because my wife's like, I can't keep doing this. So I jumped in. I started folding the clothes. And my wife walks in. Kara, she walks in and she says, hey, I just want to let you know that I took the trash out for you so you don't have to do that and worry about it in the morning. I said, thank you. I really appreciate that. End of story. That was it. Okay. We're going to be in Ephesians this morning. <laughs> She said, hey, that's not what I said. She said, um, hey, I took the trash out for you. I just kind of help you out because I know you're going to be real busy in the morning. Here are the words that shot out of my mouth at alarming speed. I said, so what? You want a medal? <laughs> Was that bad? <laughs> Those are the words that came out of my mouth. That is not a preacher's story. So, gentlemen, I got three things that happened in that moment. One, I got the look. You know the look? I got verbal response, which was, whoa. And then I got the walk away, the infamous walk away. I figured at that moment I had said something I shouldn't have said. Thank you. So this series is actually all for me, me and my big mouth. One of the things we've said over the past couple of weeks is on average, uh, we say as human beings, 16,000 words, which means when we say 16,000 words on a regular basis every single day, we're going to say things like, so what? Do you want a medal, right? Those words are going to come out. We're going to say things that we regret. Over the past couple of weeks, we've been looking at some different uh, ways that we can work on this. Now, as we've said throughout this series, this series is for people who are followers of Christ. If you're a Christian, this is what it looks like to guard our mouth. But what we're talking about really is good for any of us, no matter if we're a follower of Christ or not. So the first week we talked about how James says, hey, here, here's quick, three quick, easy things to do. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Smart. Very smart. Last week we talked about James and we talked about the power of words and, and remembering the power of our words, surrendering the power of our words, and then confessing when we say things we regret, like I did. I went back after a few moments, about 10, 15 minutes, when I realized that that was not appropriate. And uh, I said, hey, honey, I am really sorry. Forgive me. I confess. I I said things I shouldn't have said. She said, I forgive you. You're now going to fold laundry for the rest of the year. So that was, sometimes you have to like take penance for that, right? But we have to learn to confess when we say things that we shouldn't. And so today we're going to continue in this path to to hopefully help us, excuse me, help us control our words to control our mouths because honestly all of us in this room we have big mouths 
So what does it look like for us to continue to do this? Today we're going to be in Ephesians. We're going to move from James to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. If you have a Bible, feel free to pull it out. There are Bibles in the seats in front of you. Of course, we put it up here on the screen. If you have our Journey Church app, you can follow along there and take notes and also on our program today. But Ephesians chapter 4, starting with verse 17, here's what it says. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. Lots of things about words in this, right? Just kind of setting things up here. Um, Paul, as we've said before about this book called Ephesians, it's actually a letter. And he writes it to this group of Christians and these churches in Asia Minor. Uh, this letter is not meant for one specific church. It's called a circular letter. They would, he would write it and send it to one church. They'd copy it. They'd read it out. Then they'd send it to another church. And it would just kind of continue on. And so it's meant to go to a lot of different places. Now, the people that Paul is writing to here are not like him. They're not Jewish in their, their background and their history. Now, that's not who they are. He, he was a Jewish man. He was a Pharisee, a religious, basically a religious attorney to make sure everybody was doing what was right. And, and if they were doing wrong, they would get punished for it. And so he has kind of this God smack moments, what I like to call it. God kind of smacked him like, hey, you got to change. And he becomes this follower of Christ. And so he's writing to this group of people who are different than him. They're not Jewish in their background. They're actually Gentile. And so he's writing to them and he's saying, hey, you got to live your life a little bit differently now because you're a follower of Jesus. I don't know if you remember your history classes in high school, maybe college. You talked about the, the Greek culture. Uh, you talked about sort of their faith. Their faith was, was um, polytheistic. I mean, they believed in, in many different gods. And, and if you remember these stories, these gods were basically crazy, right? Because you have all these gods, and they're kind of chasing each other down, and they're making babies with each other, and they're cutting each other in half and creating worlds. And, but humans are just kind of pawns that, you know, we're here, and the gods are moving us where they want us to go. I mean, th- this was kind of this, this world that they, these Greeks grew up in. And so this is all they knew. And so basically, if you think about the God culture, what you have is, it's like winner take all. Whoever wins in the end, whoever gets everything, they're the winner. And so here's a group of people who've grown up in that. that that's not only their faith, that's, that's who they are. And so there's really no behavioral expectations, uh, not a whole lot of morality, um, not a lot of rules and laws to follow. It's winner take all. Get whatever you can. And what that means is when you do that, you just kind of give yourself up to whatever's out there. Now, now what we find over time and, and what these individuals found over time, I believe, those who become followers of Christ, they, they figured out that they, this, this stuff promises joy, it promises happiness, it promises success. But what they found was a lot of hurt and a lot of pain. And so Paul is trying to remind them of what their background is and, and where they came from and what they, they used to believe that, that some of you, you're still trying to, to live this winner-take-all. You think you're going to find all of your, your promises and success through that. And he's like, you're different now. And here's what he says in verse 20. He says, that, however, is not the way of life you learned. When you heard about Christ and were taught in him accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. He's like, hey, 
your, your pagan roots, right? Your, your Greek roots, the Greek culture, the Greek faith, that's your past. It's gone. Now you're new. And you're new because you're a follower of Jesus Christ. You're new because of your faith in Christ. You're a different person than before. Before it was winner take all. Now you're the lead servant. And so your role in life has totally changed. You are brand new in who you are. And, and he talks about deceitful desires here. It just means desiring things that other people have that, that don't belong to us, whether that's material, spiritual, physical, sexual, whatever it may be. And, and I'm guessing that some, some of these Gentile Christians were still struggling with that. They were still trying to live in their past. And, and he's like, no, you're brand new now. You've got to change who you are. You've got to become more like Christ. Over the next few verses through verse 28, Paul then shares some ideas of what that looks like. How are you changed? What do you have to walk away from? But then in verse 29, he says these words. He says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. He uses this term unwholesome here, and that word describes something that was uh, rotting, something that was deteriorating, something that was spoiled. And so they would talk about things being unwholesome like uh, sandals for them or, you know, shoes. Uh, parents, you got kids who like come up to you with their shoe like, hey, mom, dad, smell this shoe. And you get a whiff, you're like, whoa, something died in there. I mean, it's, let's go to the store now. We got to buy you some shoes. This is what they're talking about. Now, I, I love this because that, that rotting idea, they, they would talk about rotting uh, fruit. They would talk about rotting fish. So if we kind of put those two words together there, the, the fish and the mouth, He's basically saying, don't have fish mouth, right? Watch what you say. Don't have fish mouth. Don't be the person when you walk up, people are like, man, you, your mouth stinks because of the things that you say. And so here's Paul like, stay away from fish mouth. Don't let this unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Let it be full of something else. Now, as I think about those words, you know, this whole idea of unwholesome talk um, and fish mouth, um, it makes me understand that you and I, we need something that can, controls our mouth. We basically need a gatekeeper. Uh, I got invited uh, a little over a year ago to be a part of this pastor leadership cohort. Uh, there are nine pastors, lead pastors from all over the United States, uh, guys leading churches from 350 people up to 6,200 people. And, and in this group, we get together a couple times a year, and throughout the year, we, we interact online. But um, but it's all about growth. It's all about helping us grow, and, and not necessarily as a pastor, but, but more of who we are on a personal level, uh, who we are as husbands, who we are as parents, who we are as just people. And so I love being a part of this group. It's, uh, it's been an amazing time. We get together, we, we learn, um, we, we play, we laugh, we cry. I mean, we confess. I mean, we, we just have a great time just listening to each other and kind of growing in who we are as people and as pastors. And, um, and this is my second one. I just came back from this past week. Last year, last fall, was in uh, Maryland, so I could drive there, and I drove to that one. This one was in Savannah, Georgia, just outside of there, so I had to fly down to that one. I don't fly a whole lot. Um, I probably fly like once every 15 to 18 months. Some of you fly every 15 to 18 hours. I mean, that's just kind of your job. That's what you do. I, I don't fly a whole lot. So for me, it's, it's all of this tension that arises of what am I going to put in which one of, of my baggages, right, or my luggage. So I, I got my luggage, and like, hey, what am I going to put in here? And then I got my man purse. And so what am I going to put in my man purse? 
And so I got to try to figure out what goes in which one because when I get up to the security line, I don't want to be that person that they stop and they open everything up. They're like, bring him in here, get him out of here, take him to that room. I don't want to be that person. And so I sit there and I think about, okay, what am I going to put in this and what am I going to put in this? And, you know, the wires, they look kind of weird. Should I put them in this one just in case? I mean, I know they connect to my computer and stuff, but maybe they're going to think something. So thinking about all these different things. And so I, I take two bags, one for baggage, one for luggage to be checked, and then my man purse. Now, some of you are like, dude, why are you even take luggage with you? Like, let me tell you how I pick. You're like MacGyver. Remember MacGyver? Like, I put three suits, running shoes, computer, iPad. I mean, I put everything. It's in my right front pocket. You don't know how to. You're special, right? You've got this gift. You can just do that. I can't. And so I kind of stress over that. But, but I think about the TSA agents that are there. And I know some of our people here in this church, they work for TSA. Their job is to let some things in and to keep some things out. And maybe for you and I, when it comes to our mouth, we need a gatekeeper. Paul says, hey, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Don't let anything deteriorate and rotting come out of your mouth. Don't have a fish mouth. And I think he's telling us, you've got to control your mouth. You've got to have a gatekeeper that lets some things out that are good, but then holds some things back that are meant to hurt and to harm. And so he begins here by talking about making sure that nothing unwholesome comes out of our mouth. Protect what we say. Guard what we say. And he says, don't be a fish mouth, but notice what he says next. Instead, build each other up. Build each other up. Your words are powerful, and they have the ability to build up others. I don't know if you know this, our offices are not in this space. There's just no room because of everything that happens here on the Sundays and throughout the week. There's a little white house over the grass field here. If you didn't know that, that is actually our office space. So all of our staff meets there throughout the week. Doing a little research on that house over the past couple of weeks, we think, we think it's one of those Sears and Roebuck kit homes. Um, some of you may be familiar with that, um, but uh, these were homes. I mean, Sears was way ahead of its time back in the 1900s. I always like saying that. My kid's are like, Dad, you were born in the 1900s. It's like, I'm not 300 years old, but that sounds really old. This is the early 1900s. And, um, but they were kind of like the Amazon Ikea of the day, right? So you'd go to Sears and Roebuck, and you would look at these homes. You're like, hey, I, I want to build this home. And so they would, they would actually send you this home on, on a boxcar to the place that you lived. So here's how this worked. I can't believe people did this. But um, these homes were kits, okay? About ten to 30,000 pieces would come to you. You get a 75-page instruction booklet. And your job then was to put it all together. So we think that home over there, we know the home that used to be beside there. If you were here before, that was a Sears home. We think the one beside it is based on the way that it looks. But here's how this would work. This is where the Ikea piece comes into play, which Sears was probably a whole lot better than Ikea in making this match. But um, they would give you numbers. There were numbers on the wood, and I think with the the nails and and everything else that you would use. And you had to take this instruction booklet, and you had to, to match up all those numbers. Can you imagine doing that yourself? I mean, there are, there are hundreds, I think thousands of these all throughout the United States. And they're beautiful homes. Some of them you can see, they're just incredible what they've done with them. But people would build these. Now, Sears said it would take you about 90 days to build this. Yeah, because um, I can't imagine trying to do that in 90 days. And here's the, here's the coolest part. These houses cost about $3,000. So they're worth a little bit more today, right? Um, 
It was all about building something. You basically had your, your basement in place, you had your foundation in place, and then you would take the time to build these homes, one, one plank at a time, one, one nail at a time, and finally you'd have something like you, you have now. Paul's like, your words have the ability to build people up. That, that when you say things to people, it has the ability to build them up. To, to make them better than they were before. He's like, hey, don't have fish mouth. Instead, build up those around you. Because every little thing we say can help build someone up. That means be encouraging to them. Say positive words to them. Show them love through the words that you have. Affirmation is key here. Are you affirming those individuals and who they are? Use your words to build up those around you. Because that's the power our words have. And then he says this in verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed to the day, or excuse me, for the day of redemption. Paul's like, hey, remember the power that your words have. And, and he says, again, don't have fish mouth, build people up. But I think this is connected back to what he just said. Because he said, hey, you can build people up, but you can also tear them down. And maybe what we find is that that God has been building these individuals up, that he has other people in their lives and their words are encouraging them, their words are positive to them. It's building them up and and the Holy Spirit's at work in their life and yet you could come in in a moment and you could destroy that person. You can bring about so much pain and so much hurt. And and by the way, you're not only hurting them, uh, God, the Holy Spirit, yeah, they get pretty upset about this too. Again, Paul is reminding us of the power that our words have. They can build up and they can destroy. And then he says this in verse 31. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. It's kind of like Paul goes back to James. I think it was James 1.21. James says, uh, get rid of. And, and Paul is using that same phrase here, get rid of. Basically, uh, put it in a, a trash bag, take it out to the dump, throw it in a dumpster. Just, just get rid of it. Don't have it around you anymore. And he says, here are the things that that you have to to get rid of. Here's the trash, if you will, that you have to throw out. Get rid of it. Now, he he puts this order here, and he begins with this word bitterness. Now, as I I think about this, I think this is probably intentional by Paul. Because he begins with bitterness. Where does bitterness come from? From words. Most of the time, bitterness doesn't come from actions. it, It comes from words. Things that have been said to us about us, over us, that that we hear these words and that bitterness begins to build. And what happens when we have bitterness in our life? Well, I think what happens is what we see here by what Paul wrote. What comes after bitterness? Rage, anger, brawling. Now, by the way, you're thinking, so this means fistfights. This is not what that means. It means verbal sparring is happening. Uh, Slander, malice. Because when I think about bitterness, those are the outcomes from bitterness in my life. That that's what I do when I am bitter. I begin to be full of rage. I begin to be angry. I begin to slander. I mean, it just comes from us. Bitterness is sort of the, the cause. Now, again, it comes from those words. But the outcome, the effect, are these other things that Paul lists here in verse 31. Some of us in this room were bitter. And we're bitter because our mom told us that we were never good enough. 
Or maybe your dad told you or never told you that he, he loved you. Or, or maybe that for, for you, it was the friends that you had said, hey, you're so different than us. If you want to be with us and hang out with us, you've you got to change who you are because we don't like who you are. And, and I don't mean that, in, that you were in a bad place. You were in a good place. Uh, th- those words that we hear from people can, can bring about this bitterness in our life. Maybe your spouse tells you you do everything wrong. Well, bitterness begins to build. And when bitterness builds, these other things play out because again that phrase sticks and stones may break my bones but but here's the words do hurt us words do hurt words do bring bitterness into our lives and then our actions from that are that rage and that anger and and that slander and and again it's the words that we say after we have been hurt because we've been torn down and nobody's taking the time to build us up Just like Paul talks about here in Ephesians. Paul's like, throw out your bitterness. Get rid of it so you can get rid of these other things. Don't have this fish mouth, but but have words that are benefiting others. And then he says this in verse 32. He says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Again, Paul's saying, you were this person before. This is the life you used to live. This is who you were. But now you're different because you follow Jesus. He says, you've got to live a different life. And so he lists these things here. First, he says, be kind and compassionate. When our words are not unwholesome, when we don't have fish mouth, um, we're kind and compassionate to other people. And we're called to be that. Again, if we're a follower of Jesus, we're called to be kind. We're called to be compassionate to others. That means we watch what we say. No matter how different they may be than us, no matter what they may say to us, Paul's like, hey, here's a reminder to you. Be kind and compassionate to them. But then he follows that up and he says, forgive. Forgiving each other just as in Christ, God forgave you. Being kind and compassionate isn't easy, but I don't think it's hard. But Paul says, take it a step further and forgive. How hard is it to forgive when you've been hurt by words? And again, some of us in this room, we've carried the burden of fish mouth from other people for maybe decades. Forgiveness is hard for us. And maybe, maybe it's the type of thing where if we've said those words, like I did to my wife, Kara, when I went up to her and said, hey, I need you to forgive me. She said, hey, I forgive you. But, but it could be that that other person has hurt us. Paul's like, you need to be kind and compassionate to them, but you also got to forgive them. That may mean going and having that conversation because they've never asked for that forgiveness. And we have to go to them and say, hey, you know what? I forgive you for what you said to me last week, last year, 15 years ago, 30 years ago. I forgive you. I forgive you. And, and maybe that's the only thing we're going to do because They may never come back and say, hey, I am sorry that I hurt you. But we have to be okay with that. Paul's like, in those moments, be kind, be compassionate. Learn to forgive. You never know. It may be the moment where they they actually do change who they are because of us taking that step. Again, that is very, very hard. But Paul is adamant. He's like, you're not like the world. The world says hate them, be bitter towards them, be angry towards them. 
call them names, gossip about them, slander them, malice them, brawl with them verbally. Paul says, this is what the world says, but you're not a part of the world anymore if you're a follower of Jesus. Now you're different. And now you're called to be kind and to be compassionate and to forgive. Again, forgiveness is hard. But Paul says, hey, your mouth is powerful. And you can use it to destroy and to tear down and to hurt. But now you are different. Now you are a follower of Christ. And this is how you should live your life. As I think about that event with my wife and I, I understand that my mouth gets me in trouble. And I have to watch what I say because very easily, if I'm not careful, like you, I can have fish mouth. I can say things that I regret. I can say things that will hurt for a long, long time. And I have to learn to watch that. And Paul's like, you should. And I think for every single one of us in this room, again, no matter where we are, whether we are followers of Jesus or we're not, I think these words from Paul are important because our words should be used to build up those around us, to show love, to encourage those around us, to affirm who they are, and not to tear them down. Because God may be working in their lives in amazing ways. What we are called to do is be kind and to be compassionate, to be full of love and to forgive when forgiveness is needed, which is probably... It's needed for each one of us in this room. As you leave today, maybe that's the thing that you have to do. Maybe you know your words. Maybe you know what you have said. And maybe for you, forgiveness is that big step you've got to take. That you've got to ask for forgiveness from someone. Again, it may be decades in the making. Or you need to go to someone and say, hey, I forgive you for what you said. I'm a better person now than I ever have been. I'm a follower of Jesus, and, and I just want you to know that I forgive you. Because I believe God uses our words to do incredible things and to make a difference, to, to help transform the lives of others. And yet you and I, we can be the ones who hinder that from happening. And so we have to watch what we say. We have to control our mouths. We have to control it. We have to guard it in such a way that God can use our words to build others up. So they can be transformed by who God is. That is my prayer for you and I today as we go through this week. Because this week you're going to have moments. You can give in to the bitterness. You can give in to that rage. You can give in to that anger. And we can say things we regret. And Paul says stop. Control your mouth. Guard it. And be who God has created you to be through what you say. And that is my prayer for us today. We're going to head into our communion time now, and as we do, maybe for you, as we're talking today, there is someone who came to mind that you're like, ugh. You know, at work, I said this this week. You know, with my person I'm dating, I said this this past week. The, the person that is my friend, I told them these words, and, and maybe for you, that's the place you are. You said something that you deeply regret. Maybe this moment or this morning is the chance for you to leave this place and ask for forgiveness. But understand, again, that forgiveness happens right here. Again, if we're followers of Christ, as we are reminded of Jesus and who Jesus is and the forgiveness that's been given us through Christ from God. 